So this morning, I'm going to reveal one of my guilty pleasures to you. I like reading advice columns. Miss Manners, Dear Abby, Ask Ellie, any of those general advice columns where people ask questions, sometimes they're trivial questions like, what color dress can I wear to a wedding? Or serious, how can I tell if I'm in an abusive relationship? Now, I don't always agree with the answers that these columnists give, and I'm certainly not commending them to you for your counsel, but one thing I do appreciate about them is that they're not afraid to tell people what they honestly think, even if that may not be what people wanted to hear. If Miss Manners thinks that you are the one being rude, then she will let you know. And if Ellie thinks you are the one that's instigating problems in your relationships, she'll probably find a diplomatic way to let you know that and advise that you get some help. Because when we care about someone and we want the best for them, sometimes that means telling them things they don't want to hear. Being nice isn't always nice. Sometimes love requires more of us. And we find Jesus demonstrating that in today's reading from the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, as he says some things that are hard for his listeners to hear and probably hard for some of us to hear as well. Jesus had been in Judea teaching and he and his disciples were just setting out for Jerusalem when a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked him what he had to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, you know the commandments, and began to list several of the big ones. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, etc., etc." And the man responded, well, I've kept those since my youth. Well, I don't know exactly what the man thought Jesus was going to say next, but I can guarantee you he did not expect this. You lack one thing. Go, sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This was a shocker. Not what he expected at all. The man went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Now, I realize this story of Jesus and this man makes many of us uncomfortable. If this man was so good at keeping the law, and he was so earnest about inheriting eternal life, why would Jesus lay such a burden on him, asking him to give his wealth away? Wasn't that a bit much? But there's something I have to admit I skipped over when I was reading the story just now. After the man said that he kept all the commandments, Mark writes, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus was studying this man, his mind, his heart, and he loved him. 
I'm sure that this man appreciate that Jesus appreciated this man's tenacity, his willingness to just run right up to Jesus, kneel before him and ask him his burning question. Jesus loved him. He was inviting him to be one of his disciples. Come, follow me. This was taking place right before Jesus was about to enter into Jerusalem for his triumphal entry. And he was inviting this latecomer to join them, to join his band of disciples, just as all these important events were about to take place. He could be part of this new kingdom. But Jesus could see that there was something this man lacked. And perhaps the man knew it too. Either he sensed that he was missing something important and he needed Jesus to tell him what it was, or he was hoping that Jesus would reassure him that all was well. His good track record in keeping the law was enough. But Jesus knew this man was not as righteous as he thought he was. None of us ever are. Jesus quickly sniffed out the idolatry in this man's heart, and he revealed it to him. And it wasn't because Jesus was angry with him or trying to punish him. He loved him. And so that is why he told him to sell his possessions and to give the money to the poor and follow him. It was exactly what he needed to do. Because despite all of his outward concern for his soul, his wealth was what ultimately controlled him. He didn't own his possessions. His possessions owned him. And the proof is that he would not even consider the possibility of doing what Jesus asked. He had been told what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, follow me, but first get rid of your possessions. And he said, no. He walked away. He chose the kingdom of wealth instead of the kingdom of God. This was a seemingly righteous man. He probably came from a good family, had an excellent reputation, but that wasn't enough to save his soul. Only Jesus can do that. Now again, I realize this story may be tying some of us up in knots, worrying what might the Lord ask of us. It might even make us a bit angry. What right does anyone have? to tell me what to do with my money and my possessions. Doesn't it belong to me? Didn't I earn it? Aren't I free to do what I want with it? These are good questions. And so to answer them, I'd like us to travel back in time about a thousand years before Jesus of Nazareth came on the scene during the final years of King David's life. Now, you may remember that King David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. But the Lord told him he was not the one who was going to do that. It was going to be his son, Solomon. He would build the temple. And so as David reached the later stages of his life, he wanted to put everything in place 
so that King Solomon would have everything he needed to successfully complete this gigantic construction project. David made sure that provisions of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, precious stones, and other materials were gathered for the temple's construction. He drew on these materials that he had access to because he was king, but he also made large gifts of silver and gold from his own personal collection. So David explained all this as he was addressing an assembly of leaders representing the various houses, tribes, and divisions of Israel in the 29th chapter of 1 Chronicles. David said to them, who then will offer willingly, consecrating themselves today to the Lord? And so the leaders responded to David's call by giving, put together one and a half times as much gold and silver as King David had given, along with a large amount of bronze, iron, and precious stones. And all the people rejoiced because they had given these offerings freely and willingly to the Lord. And then David began to pray one of the best prayers he had prayed, at least recorded in scripture. And part of it, you may have recognized it in the reading earlier, part of it we pray every Sunday. So I want you to listen to this prayer and I want you to consider how it may answer some of those questions about our possessions and our wealth. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Did you hear that? How all the heavens and the earth belong to the Lord? How all riches and honor come from him? But what about David's great wealth and all the materials that he and the leaders were able to gather together for the temple's construction? David goes on to pray, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to make this free will offering for all things come from you and of your own have we given you. David is humbled by the fact that the only reason he and the people could give free will offerings to the Lord is because the Lord gave them those good gifts in the first place. It reminds me of when I was a child and I received an allowance from my parents. Now, one of the many things I could do with that money was I could actually buy Christmas presents for my parents. Now, the only reason I could buy them presents 
was because they gave me the money. So from one perspective, they were actually paying for their own presence. But from another perspective, it meant something to them because I had freely chosen to take some of the money they had given me and spend it on them. Now, why did I do this? Was it because I was afraid of what would happen if I didn't? Was I going to be punished? No. I bought these presents for my parents because I loved them, and I wanted to express my love for them. It made me feel good, and it made them feel good. I see something similar happening in this celebration of free will offerings for the temple. David and the people are so grateful to the Lord for who he is and what he has done for them that they are overjoyed to be able to take some of what he has given them and return it to him for his worship. It is born out of loving relationship with the Lord. So back to those questions. Does the Lord have the right to tell us what to do with our money and possessions? Yeah, he does. He gives us life and all that we have. But don't we earn what we have? Well, if we've earned income through our labor, it's because the Lord has given us bodies and minds to be able to work, as well as the opportunities to be able to do so. So can we do what we want with our resources? The Lord has given us freedom. So in that sense, sure, we can. But if we are followers of Jesus Christ, declaring him as Lord and Savior, then we owe him our very lives and our salvation because he took our sins upon himself and the penalty for our sins. And so instead of asking about the rights we have to our possessions, perhaps a better question is, how can we ever repay the one who gives us life, who loves us, provides for us, and saves us from our sins? How can we ever give enough to adequately thank him? Is it too much for the giver of life to ask creation to give away its possessions? Given what we read in Mark's gospel today, Jesus doesn't seem to think so. Now, in the New Testament, as far as I can tell, this is the only time Jesus gives someone this specific command. And yet, Jesus does require his disciples to choose him over every other allegiance, be it family, profession, position, wealth, and even self-preservation. And it's not because Jesus wants them or us to hate those things, but it's because he gives us time, he gives us talent, and he gives us resources to use for his glory and for the growth of his kingdom. He loves us, and he wants us to grow in relationship with him and love for him. And in the context of that loving relationship, 
we can ask him, how is he calling us to use what he has blessed us with? For one wealthy man, it meant he needed to be able to walk away from it all to follow Jesus. And he chose not to. For another, it meant selling a field and giving the money to the church. For the apostles, it meant leaving their homes and their jobs to travel with Jesus and then to spread the good news. For many women, it meant using their resources to provide for Jesus and then opening their homes as places of worship for the early church. The story of Jesus and this wealthy man need not frighten us, but rather reassure us that Jesus sees us and he loves us. He knows what each one of us needs, what we need to do with our lives, our time, our talent, and our material resources. And if we ask, the Holy Spirit will direct us out of genuine love for us. God isn't a demanding bully who's demanding our lunch money. He's more like a parent who accepts our clumsy attempts to please him with gifts of construction paper and crayon and popsicle sticks and is somehow able to transform those into beautiful works of art that illumine his gospel. Who are we, indeed, to be able to give anything to the Lord who has given us everything? So in case you haven't guessed, today is the first day of our month-long stewardship campaign here at St. Peter and St. Paul's. And Evan Baker, our stewardship campaign chair, will share more about that during our announcement time. But right now, I want us to remember with gratitude who the source of our life and breath and salvation is. And as we make decisions in the coming week and the coming weeks about how we spend our time and how we use our money, pulling out our debit cards for this or that, let us be reminded of who our provider is and recognize his authority and his lordship. Let us begin to ask him earnestly how he would direct us to use our time, our talents, and our material resources. Because friends, he sees us and he loves us. Amen.